Hey everyone, welcome back to the Digital Deep Dive show, episode number three of the show. If you're new around here, this is a show where I talk about interesting things in and around tech and the people building it, using it, and the impact it has on society at large. Before we jump into the show, just a reminder, you can like, follow, and subscribe the Digital Deep Dive show on Pogpag. It's a podcast platform. You can also get it on such great podcast platforms as Apple Podcast, Anchor, Google Podcast, and Spotify. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and have all episodes downloaded automatically to your device. And the last caveat before we jump into the episode, all thoughts, ideas, opinions are my own. All right. With all that said, Let's jump into the show. So if you know me, you know that I really enjoy podcasts. been podcasting for a number of years, probably like 10 or 15. Uh, I have a house music podcast. I also have the Daily Blend show. And I've probably put out, I don't know, around three, 400 episodes of podcasts over the years. So clearly I'm a big fan of the platform And so when I heard that YouTube was sort of dipping their toes into the water, I got very excited. And a quote I got off of uh, YouTube's uh, press release from Paul Pennington is that podcast destination page on YouTube helps users explore new and popular podcast episodes, shows, and creators, as well as recommended podcast platforms. And it's only currently available in the U.S. So um, let's just talk about like what's happened in the podcast ecosystem. So during COVID uh, or right before COVID, businesses like Spotify try or started to get into podcast. Most notably, they bought the Joe Rogan Show for you know someone said two hundred million dollars. I think uh, call her daddy from the folks at Barstool Sports. I think that's exclusively through Spotify, and I think that deal was roughly sixty million. But on both the dollar amounts, don't quote me uh, there. I'm not exactly sure. Those are just the rumored amounts. But uh, YouTube uh, advances in podcasting following significant investments in these you know from these other groups um, and. What's interesting to me is podcasting, uh, you can do it on any platform. I think Anchor, which is owned by Spotify, is how I host my uh, podcasts. And I find it a fantastic user experience. It's it's just easy to get the content in there. It's easy to get the artwork, show details, metadata, analytics. Now, on the podcast side for YouTube, what's interesting to me is there isn't a ton of difference in the way that you would upload your content. Like It's not a unique platform or portal, I should say. It's really just like some metadata tagging uh, that you would add to your episodes. So you upload it and you'd either add a tag or a drop down that this is a, a podcast. Now, my question is over time, will YouTube um, either provide payment to individual contributors like myself, or would YouTube go after big names and say exclusively drop your content on uh, YouTube? And then from like a, an output standpoint, does that content then get disseminated across like you're just youtube.com or do they start to put like a second 
I'll call it mobile app in the marketplace called YouTube Podcast that's much more audio oriented than video. Um, you know, from the content delivery standpoint, I think, you know, one of the nice things I like about things like Spotify and Apple is I've got like almost, I wouldn't call it a dedicated app, but an app that is more geared to audio. There's subscriptions, there's following, and sure, you can do that on YouTube today. It's just not as intuitive. I wouldn't say seamless, but it's just not as intuitive. So it'll be interesting to see from a business lens how YouTube approaches this in terms of buying talent or you know, pulling talent specifically to their platform, and then from the distribution or consumption standpoint, how they change and update their go-to-market approach. All right, so the second story uh, I'm covering this week is called Clavio, and I'm pretty sure I'm saying this correctly. It's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O, and it's marketing tech. And if you talk to consumers um, like you know them, because you do, if you're you're a marketing person and you've done your research and you, you kind of know your segmentation, um, turning hard-earned customer data into hard work, text, and email marketing is paramount to what Clavio is all about. They integrate with some of the most popular e-commerce platforms with just one click, giving you access to all the historical and real-time data from your store and it's just super easy. And so that's what their their tagline is on their website. And so the three buckets they're thinking or they're kind of highlighting is the fact that they've got email that's personalized, they've got text messages, and you can target them in a combination of email and text. I'd argue that some sort of integration with social would be nice. Um, and full disclosure, I've never used this uh, marketing tech. I'm, I'm going to go explore it in the coming weeks. So if you are over at the Clavio team, just reach out to me at Reed Daily. That's R-E-E-D-D-A-I-L-E-Y. I'm very interested in getting a product demo. Now, what I am most interested from their offering is the fact that Email open rate is is pretty consistent no matter which uh, email platform you use um, from what I've seen. Uh, but the SMS is becoming increasingly important just because you're spammed with so many emails that most people have the text message enabled on their phone, or at least I do. And so when I do opt into SMS campaigns, I find that I actually read those text messages more or see them and it comes top of mind. Whereas I probably get 50 to 100 emails a day and I rarely look at them, especially now that Google has the three tabs of your sort of personal social and promotions or, or marketing. I can't remember what that third tab is called. But, um, you know, I'm interested to see see how marketing companies build better personas of you across the different uh, platforms and then how they use that information to target you based on the day, the time, and the content type. All right. So if we're going to marketing at you, and that's sort of looking at uh, how you're Brand or how you engage, let's look at how you're perceived. And uh, I've been looking more and more at doing sort of, I'll call it a social media audit to my personal accounts, that's Read Daily, and then my, um, you know, company, if you will, Daily Blend. Um, and so I, I've, I've been looking for just different ways to adjust my profiles. And then I came across Icon uh, Square, which is a, uh, a software solution, but they have a lightweight 
um, audit tool that's free. Um, obviously, if you pay for the subscription service, you get a more robust um, set of analytics and insights uh, and, and sort of a call to action. Um, but I, you know, I, I was very curious. So I connected it to my uh, personal Instagram account and I got a free preview, which was roughly like two or three pages of just observations and, or sorry, it's an overall score first. Um, I think I got a 37 out of 100. And then it's observations at a line level and then sort of like high-level recommendations. I haven't started to take action, but uh, I was pretty impressed with the the basic, um, you know, free version of their audit. And so as part of like the post for the the podcast episode, what I'll do is I'll, I'll paste my social media audit into my YouTube or not YouTube, uh, into my um Twitter account so you can see sort of my scores. And then I will take another snapshot in roughly a month to see how I've proved it. So as someone who loves uh, Instagram but thinks Facebook is a little weird and creepy, and I don't know why because I love their other product, Instagram, so much, um, you know, it's interesting to see how uh, Facebook is evolving. Obviously, they are now called Meta. But uh, one of the stories that caught my eye a couple weeks back was the fact that they were opening a physical Meta store. And the idea is that they're going to sell their portal, their Ray-Ban stories and Quest 2. And uh, let's talk about the Ray-Ban stories and Quest 2. So Ray-Bans are just literally Ray-Ban glasses with cameras that integrate. And so you can, I I believe, take pictures and maybe do a little bit of light video streaming or video capturing. And then the Quest 2 is the Oculus Quest 2. That's their VR uh, headset. Uh, The shop's going to be located in California. It looks just like an Apple store, but maybe a little more homely or not homely, but like you know, inviting and, um, you know, a little softer, if you will. It kind of reminded me of somewhere between a cross of an Apple store and an AT&T, you know, flagship store. So Meta is trying to get people into the hardware and into VR. Uh, So what better way to do that than like in real life, which is ironic that you have to bring people to a store to get them into the virtual reality. Now, the headset is a bit to get used to. I bought one, had it for a couple weeks. It was pretty darn cool that this is like version two or three, depending on how you think about it. Um, But what I thought was was interesting beyond like the metaverse, which for me is not really that appealing, but the fact that will I down the road have a Teams, Zoom, and Hangout in some sort of like corporate metaverse where I pick my avatar or my avatar is picked for me. um, And instead of jumping on a Teams call, I'm kind of in a metaverse and can walk around and talk to people. It's like the ultimate efficiency where you're doing more of a networking in the metaverse instead of like the real world. And, um, you know, could you also think about it from a collaboration standpoint, instead of just looking at a screen, do you jump into the metaverse to collaborate with your team members where there's whiteboards and it's much more of like a in real life experience, but you don't have to get in a car, you don't have to drive anywhere. So, I mean, from a technical standpoint, it's really cool. From a personal standpoint, as someone who has grown up in the in the real world, uh, you know, stage of life, like many of us, um, 
it's a little bit scary to think about the fact that we're going to basically get these jobs and then interact mostly in front of a digital screen. Um, as someone who typically gets on planes and trains for work, I will say that there is nothing better than you know physically traveling. It gives you a break from the daily minutia. It gives you energy walking into meetings, energy coming out of meetings. I think whoever you're meeting with ultimately feels better about the experience. I will also say I live in Chicago, and in the summertime, Chicago does come to life a bit more because of tourists and the weather, but I'm also seeing more recently a lot more business foot traffic and so I want to continue to see more in the real life. I hope that this metaverse doesn't uh, jump into the the or cross over into the corporate setting anytime soon. So our next story is all about being more productive and in a world where we are split between fully on prem or in person to hybrid and fully remote, I think there's another layer. I think there is those who are entrenched or accepting, uh, I don't know how you want to think about it, of just the status quo for manual process. And when you think about like what the office of yesteryears was, it was cubes set up to act in a very similar manner to an assembly line. I do a task, I hand it to you, you do your task, you hand it down the line from left to right, top to bottom, however you want to think about it. When we think about all of the digital tools, they only are as effective as the individuals using it and sort of the change management around how to you know, enable it or to regulate it, however you want to think about it. I know oftentimes I've got automation working uh, in my life, but maybe the person upstream, or I guess downstream is more accurate, doesn't understand why they're getting certain triggers, or that when they update certain actions online or in the cloud through these tools, that it actually just auto-updates, and as a result, you sort of slow down. Now, that's one example. The other example is just like little nuanced things that you have to do that are very like batch oriented or that are kind of manual in nature. And, uh, you know, I'm constantly one of those people who's like, all right, let's let's figure out how to do something more efficiently. It could be from document creation, sign off, um, review, collaboration. Um, there's also things that are just like acting more efficient, uh, either through standards or templates. And I was, you know, handed an article from a friend of mine uh, about uh, being more productive. And this is from Amantha Iber. It was published in the Harvard Business Review. And uh, she is um, a founder of behavioral science consulting uh, organization called uh, Inventum and is the host of How I Work. It's a podcast about habits and rituals of the world's most successful people. So I've tuned into her podcast uh, a few episodes um, in sort of a similar fashion. I've read Tim Ferriss's Tools of Titans and a Tribe of Mentors, which is talking, you know, his books were really about like, you know, high-end or highly successful 
operator and executors and the the tricks and tips that they have in terms of the habits that they they use to form their lives. So you know when I read this article uh, from Amantha, uh, you know it was really like my my two takeaways were as you know bullet number one kind of is to understand how some people manage to get a lot more done with their day than the average person. And this was like as a result of, you know, her interviewing people and kind of talking through those routines, rituals, practices, and work hacks. And then during the conversations, her four takeaways were, you know, batching your meetings, which I think is extremely incredible. If you have like one or two meetings, then a break, and then a couple more meetings, you can't get into a flow. And I, I think, you know, as we're in increasingly more and more Zoom or team meetings, it's really hard for your brain to go meeting one, meeting two, meeting three, you know, thoughtful or, pro, you know, productive work, you know, meeting four, meeting five, like it's just your brain is not meant to function like that. And the fact that we don't physically walk down the halls anymore or go from like an office to an office or, or you know, location to location, you, you're literally just like in and out and you need to give yourself time. So on the batching piece, if you can't batch your meetings, I highly suggest you schedule them for 25 or 50 or 55 minutes instead of the full 30 or an hour to give your brain a little bit of time to one, classify the action items and takeaways. And two, it just gives your brain and your body like a minute or two to regroup. Um, the second thing that was like super tactical was avoiding using a mouse. And uh, I don't use a mouse for the most part. I, I have on occasion gone back to it, but I use just a, my laptop keyboard and I use a lot of quick keys. And I noticed when I was watching uh, a screen share or I was collaborating with uh, someone they were using their mouse and I was like, do you not know what alt tabbing is between applications? Cause we were copying and pasting different pieces of content from one document to the other. And the, the takeaway that I thought was really interesting on the mouse piece is that every person loses or wastes two seconds per minute of work by using their mouse instead of keyboard shortcuts. And that's eight days a year when you add it up, which I thought was a crazy statistic. And then um, something that probably seems pretty logical, but it's nudging your way to better behaviors. So I think, you know, many people, you know, are trapped with the New Year's, you know, I'm going to do a New Year's resolution. And this is kind of that like same takeaway. It's like, don't just try to jump into all these things. Nudge your way into changing behaviors. Also, don't try to tackle too many things at once. And then the last thing was read your work out loud. And I do some of this. I also use... Grammarly a lot, which is a third-party app that does proofread my articles. And as a result, I end up reading the article multiple times. And so I'm sort of checking that box, but I think it's a valuable takeaway. And so all of these, um, you know, takeaways are very interesting and, you know, just help you to run more efficient. And when I think about them, it's like, how do I act or as efficiently as I can. And then how do I set up barriers and a working culture with, you know, my family, with my friends, with my colleagues, with customers. And it's tough specifically in this like sort of hybrid fragmented workplace where some people are, you know, in a hybrid fully remote on, you know, in person. And so those working, uh, you know, 
rituals are very different. But check out um, her article. Uh, I'll share it on Twitter, and uh, I'll include it on the post that's associated to the uh, the you know podcast episode uh, from Harvard Business Review. And don't forget to check out Amantha's uh, podcast. And uh, yeah, with that said. Um, I hope you enjoyed the latest episode of the Digital Deep Dive show. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Reed Daily. My name is spelled a little different. It's R-E-E-D-D-A-I-L-E-Y. You can also find me on LinkedIn, and you can subscribe to the show on all major podcast platforms, and we'll be posting the show to LinkedIn in the coming weeks. With that said, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll catch you at the next episode.